All right, welcome into a special episode of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Yenner Jr., and Jay Morrison here with you. Uh, so this is special because hopefully um, if you're opening this one, you listened to our episode from earlier this week where myself, Jay, Mo Egger, broke down the last playoff win in Bengals history from so so painfully long ago, uh, which was January 6, 1991, of the Bengals beating the Oilers 41-14 to and then losing the next week to the Raiders 20-10. to And since then, Bo Jackson was injured, Paul Brown sadly passed, and the Bengals have not won a playoff game since. You may have heard that fact before. 10,700-some uh, days and counting. <laughs> and very much counting uh so we we after that episode there was so much good stuff uh, that we got in interviews we thought it was silly and ridiculous to not share it with you and we wanted to bring you four uh the of those interviews that we thought were particularly great um, and share them in in, a, in some form of their longevity. We cut them down for brevity a little bit here, but uh, you are going to get Bengals defensive back Solomon Wilcots, who played his last game with the Bengals that year uh, when they lost to the Raiders. Bengals, longtime Bengals offensive guard Max Montoya, one of the greats in team history, who played that year with the Raiders, who beat the Bengals at the end. In the tail end of the season, smacked them around a little bit, and then obviously ended their season one year after they were were unable to come to agreement to keep him around. Uh, and he ended up being a Pro Bowl alternate, had a Pro Bowl later in his career, five more years, five more quality years he had um, after leaving the Bengals, playing with the Raiders. But his story is interesting because many push him on as the one of the big reasons why the 90s pushed the 90s into the direction that they eventually became. Uh, then you're going to hear from... Hall of Famer, the Lone Bengals Hall of Famer, uh, Anthony Munoz, uh, talking about that time. And then last but certainly not least, you are going to hear from James Brooks. Uh, so we want to kind of bring you a, a lot of those lists. We're starting with Solomon Wilcots. Jay, one quick thought on on the, the Solomon Wilcots interview as we get into that. Um, I would say one quick thought is I wish I could talk to Solomon Wilcox every single day. I mean, he's just terrific. <laughs> a lot of you guys that live in Cincinnati know him from his days on Channel 5. He, he went into broadcasting after he, his playing days ended. He, after he left the Bengals, he left. He went and played with Minnesota and then Pittsburgh. He talks about that in the interview about going to play with the enemy and Dick LeBeau talking him into it and saying, oh, it's not that bad. You're going to love these guys. And he, he said some of those Steelers are still his best friends to this day. Um, he's just terrific on on so many different topics, and um, you know some of these guys you talk to the the memories fade over thirty years, and 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 Solly is still really sharp. He has he has crystal clear memories of of a lot of these instances from nineteen ninety. Great stuff from Solly. We'll be right back after you uh, hear from him. So here is longtime Bengals defensive back Solomon Wilcots. A couple things um, about that season. Um, I guess number one, the playoff game, where was your guys' confidence level? I mean, I know you had just beat the Oilers a couple weeks before, but then when Warren Moon went out, that that had to have been, I know the whole next man up thing, but you guys had to feel pretty confident. 
You mean the game uh, against the uh, Oilers after we beat them, or going into the game? Yeah, going into the going into that Oilers playoff game because um, I think it was oh, yeah. yeah, like week fourteen or week fifteen. You beat them at home pretty good, and then they, you got to play them yeah. at home again a couple weeks later. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. You, obviously, you remember those Houston teams were really good. Yeah, and they were loaded with first round picks, and of course, Warren Moon. But the strength of our team was always our secondary. Like, our defense, it was our secondary. And we knew they, I mean, they torched everyone else. But we just, we, nobody ever really just shredded us in the passing game. You know, we just, it just didn't happen. And we um, always felt like we matched up with them very well. As good as they were, don't get me wrong, we, we knew how good they were. But Dick LeBeau was, I mean, we had that. We felt like he was our secret weapon. You know, he he could always tell us what to expect, what to do, what we needed to know, and then we knew he was always going to give us a plan to execute. I mean, that was like a no. That was a no brainer. Even going back to that Super Bowl against the Niners, they didn't hang fifty on us like they did everybody else. Yeah. You know, so we we always we were just so confident, no matter who we played. Now. You know, we you know, there's a lot of things you can control as a team, but just in the secondary, we knew that people weren't going to shred us throwing the football. So that that game, we felt we got them. And Jerry Glanville was this guy that just did a lot of talking, you know. <laughs> just, yeah. you know? And we were like, dude, this, we're we're gonna put the, put these guys away. I remember, I think it was that game. Uh, he, he was Sam. gone by then, actually. That that well, that was Jack Pardee, Jerry that Glanville. Was Pardee. Okay, yeah. that was yeah. That, okay, Jack Pardee. Yeah, but anyway, we we felt we could beat him. But you're right, Jack Pardee was there then. And, but we thought we, you know, that was the year that I thought we were going back to the Super Bowl. I, I can't for the life of me tell you what happened when we got to L.A. and against Bo Jackson because you know we put Bo out the game. You're supposed to go ahead and win it. You know. Mm-hmm. I guess the the, the announcers were because um, I watched that game on, on YouTube, the Raiders game. I watched both of them, but the announcers were uh, commenting frequently about a, a flu bug that kind of went through the team right before that Raiders game. Do, do you remember that? And remember how severe it was? Yeah, because I had the flu. I had, yeah, I, yeah, I do recall. Yeah, um, but you know what? I had the flu. That's another thing. You know, thinking about today's. You know, I, there was a couple of times, all my years of playing football, I remember whether I, I was playing basketball as a kid or football. I remember at least half a dozen times having the flu, getting out of bed the next day, playing the game and playing the game of my life. <laughs> I was like, like I, you know, the Michael Jordan thing, I get it. I mean, everybody, I, I'm, you go back and look at the Joe Montana. He had a flu game against Houston when he was with Notre Dame. He mm. played the game of his life. But no, I do remember that week. I can't recall who all was sick. I remember being sick. I remember missing a practice that week, calling in. And I didn't know that other people were calling in. You know what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah, I didn't go to work. I just called in. I couldn't go. I was like, uh, uh, no, I, I couldn't even get in the car and drive. It was like, I stay in bed, though I'll be okay. You know that's how I felt. I had everything that I needed; just needed to stay in bed. You know, um, and uh, felt good the next day. 
you know, I think I missed a Thursday practice. I think I made it to the facility on Friday. Saturday, we got on a plane and flew to L.A., you know. In addition to the flu, I mean, you guys, it, it was pretty apparent that, that Anthony Munoz wasn't going to play and, and James Brooks was iffy with the, the thumb and Harold Green didn't play. I know those guys are on offense, but did that did that change anything for you guys defensively? Was was that, you know, kind of feel like more pressure was on the defense at that point? Yeah, I do recall, I think Boomer ended up leaving that game, didn't he, somehow? and. He left the Oilers game just because you guys were routing him, but I, I don't think he oh, got okay. – he did, they did say he was one of the ones that had the flu, but that probably came, you know, a couple days before the Raiders game. Yeah, that was, yeah, before the Raiders game. But, yeah, yeah, not, you know, no, we weren't worried about the offense. We were never – so we were confident in our offense. You know, I mean, obviously with the group of guys we had on offense, we were extremely confident. Defensively, we just felt we matched up really good in terms of coverage, and we knew they weren't going to run the ball on us, even though if that if those Oilers team would have decided, hey, let's just run on them, they probably would have beat us. I'll be honest with you. I mean, if you look at their backfield and the guys they had on that team, that's why I could never figure them out. Like, why would they run this run-and-shoot stuff, you know, this tricked-out stuff, because we had their number. Like, that stuff wasn't going to work on us. But, you know, I guess it worked on a lot of teams that didn't know them that well. And uh, so, yeah, when, you know, whatever the offense was doing, uh, we weren't worried because the offense had routed them a few weeks prior to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's funny because Trumpy kept saying on the, the broadcast about the problem with the run and shoot is there's no plan B. Like, they don't have yeah, tight ends. Right. They can't line up and just <laughs> run the ball. Yeah, and, and now here's – I'm going I'm to share something with you. I think it might have been the Super Bowl year. 88. That's how they stumbled into the run and shoot. We were, we beat them uh, at home. I think that we lost, might have been overtime, a kickoff or something on the road at Houston. But we, we beat them most of the time. But anyway, we planned them the second time at home. And I remember we were beating them like 28 nothing early in the game. Second half, they just went all sort of like no huddle, this like two-minute offense is what it was. Wasn't no huddle. It was like a two-minute offense. Yeah. Man, they started making plays on it. They literally came back. Now, they didn't beat us, but I, we were like, man, they probably should have did that for the whole game. I just remember thinking that. And then they might have done that a few more times. And after that, they started running that as their primary offense. Now, you're talking about – offense that had just to give you an idea they had a Hall of Fame offensive line Mike Munchak, Bruce Matthews Dean Steinkuhler they had about three four guys on that offensive line with all first round picks then they had a backfield that was all first round pick running backs they went from uh, Alonzo Highsmith, Mike Rozier, Alan Pinkett and then later they had Lorenzo White yeah all first round picks, but they had receivers. That's they had a talented team. You know, like I think Ernest Gibbons was a high pick. Jeffries was a first round pick. Drew Hill came from. He had been a great player with the Rams. They come over. And, man, they loaded, loaded, and then they stumbled into this run and shoot offense that Miles Davis had run 
when he had Jim Kelly in the uh, in the uh, USFL. Okay, and that's how they kind of found that offense. Huh. And so by the time they got, you know, we get to nineteen ninety, you know, that's they were they were full, they were running that every week. Most teams didn't have an answer for it. We had an answer for it. That's interesting. So Cincinnati was the birthplace of the run and shoot, even though the Bengals never ran it. That's true. That is true. We <laughs> were birthplace of for the West Coast offense, birthplace yeah. for the zone blitz defense. We were birth birthplace of that zone offense, of zone run scheme, outside zone, inside zone, mm-hmm. all that off tackle stuff you saw the Broncos win with, and now the 49ers doing with Kyle, Mike's son. Alex Gibbs took that to Denver, but Alex Gibbs was a uh, Jim McNally disciple. Oh, okay. So we were, we were the first ones to run that. All that play action stuff that comes off of that, bootleg boomer was doing that. Eddie Brown would be wide open downfield <laughs> on a lot of those throws. Yes, he was. Yeah, we. so we were running all that stuff before anybody. Anybody. Trust me when I tell you. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, earlier in the year, I mean, it was a really weird year. You guys, you you had five games on the West Coast, including the playoff game. You you played five straight road games because the Reds were in the, the playoffs and you guys shared the stadium. Um, how unique was that experience? You guys went out and played the Monday night game at Seattle and you stayed on the West Coast uh, to play the Rams the following week. Anthony Munoz said he'd never done anything like that for football. He'd done road trips in baseball. Um, do you remember... You, was it a was it like a like a training camp situation where Sam had a, a curfew on you guys, or were you guys kind of? It was of, different. It was yeah. different, Jay. Because I'm gonna I'm share with you what happened. We were in Seattle. We had lost the Monday night game, which we shouldn't have lost. And so, you know, one thing we ain't gonna do is come home losing two in a row. I mean, you just not. You know, your season could be over quick like that. And so, we're going to L.A. to play the Rams. But I'm ecstatic because I was born and raised in L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of the first time I get to go back. I mean, I had gone back and played the, uh, the Raiders, and Raiders also played that stadium. But, you know, we were going to play the Rams in Anaheim. So we stayed in Seattle because they did not want us in L.A. the whole week, so they kept us in Seattle. Oh. Well, that was also the same week where this conversation about women in the locker room mm-hmm. was a big deal. They, teams are saying they weren't going to let them in. Other teams are like, well, we don't know. Sam, Sam, Sam comes to us and says, hey, guys, what do you want to do? You want to let them in the locker room or not? It's up to you. What do you want to do? We just looked at him like, we ain't we ain't making this decision. Don't put this on us. You know, <laughs> nobody said a word. And, and true to Sam, you know what? Don't worry about it, guys. I'll handle it. I'll handle it. <laughs> and we kind of breathe. We just exhaled like, we didn't know it was getting ready to be that big a deal. Next thing you know, I get back to my room the next day. Sam is on the Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> Sam is doing all the, he's making headlines now. And next, and he's passing us out these towels to wrap around our waist. And on the front of it had like this man with two, well, you could have his two legs with a leaf hanging in front of the private part. Like, so it had that image on the front of the towel that we wrapped around. 
you know how they would have the towel that you wrap around with a velcro sort of like you that's what you you know you hung on yourself right. so anyway it was just a weird it was a weird time and so i just remember you know we uh kind of passively or tacitly went along with sam's plan we were women had already been in the locker room you know mm-hmm. women we had already come in there women were already in there like why is this a big deal huh but it had become a national topic we found ourselves in the middle of it and then we found our coach in the middle of it so that was a huge distraction during the week and all i know is i'm trying to get family members tickets when we get to la and then we get into this game that turned they were good man that was John Robinson's Rams, you know, Cleveland Gary, Flipper Anderson, Jim Everett, Jackie Slater, great offensive line. We went toe-to-toe. I think Jim Breacher kicked the game-winning field goal last few seconds. It might even went into overtime, I believe. It did, yes. And we got out of there. And <laughs> we were so happy. And my family in the parking lot was so happy we won, and we came back feeling good, so... That was a huge relief. But that's how that season started, man. It was everything was just hard for us. Like like when we won in eighty eight, it was easy. We were winning in ninety and it's like every win is like it's like pulling teeth, man. It, it, these those wins were difficult to come by. Yeah, and I imagine that had to have been a hard stretch to play five straight on the road. Um with the Reds being in the World Series and going on to win it, did did that fuel you guys at all? Were you were you guys baseball fans? Did you, even though you had your own facility at Spinney, you shared a stadium with them. Did did you know a lot of those guys and root for them? Oh yeah, I knew. We knew a lot of those guys. You know, Eric Davis, Barry Larkin, all those. They won a World Series that year, so mm. you know we were like, dude, go get. It. You know, we we couldn't do it in '88. Maybe you guys could do it, and guess what? They did. You know, that was the game. And uh, my good friend Eric Davis goes diving for a ball, lacerates a kidney, and Mars shot leaves him in Oakland. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like really, you know. So I remember all of that stuff. Those were good times. Yeah, we were friends with all with all the Reds players. You know, okay. we were. You know, Paul O'Neill was on those teams. You know what I'm saying? It's like. They were uh, they were good. I mean, they were a good team. We were a good team. We kind of had Cincinnati was a good sports town, right? You know, right at the end of the eighties, early nineties. Yeah, Sports Illustrated named Cincinnati the the city of the year in nineteen ninety because the Reds won the World Series, and then the the big part of it was Sam and the women in the locker room issue. He was on the cover of the. That's, trust me, I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> Like it was yesterday. <laughs> Do you remember that play, the the Bo Jackson fumble that they they took away from oh, you guys? Yeah. And, and oh yeah! How did Absolutely. that affect you, dude? You know how hard it was to stop that guy. We, now we <laughs> played him out there earlier in the year. He ran hog wild on us. Yeah, they beat us earlier in the year. It's like a month earlier. Yeah, that's right, out there. And now we got to play this dude again. So now we're like, we're stopping this dude. And then you, I mean, if you can get Bo to fumble anything, man, that's putting in work. And we're like, oh, I just remember that, you know. We, so, you know, we just, you know, listen, you're, I'm used to a lot of that. Being a defensive back, you know, you cannot lament whatever happens on the field. You better move on. You better move on quickly. Yeah. And we moved on. Next thing you know, we put him out of the game. 
So, you know, that's why you don't remember that play because you got him out of the game. I yeah. mean, you still lose, but shoot, man, that, I'm telling you, we didn't want to hurt him for good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, nobody wants to do that. Bo Jackson was like Michael Jordan, all of us. Yeah, the routine. You know, all of our, all of our families, we met him out when they wheeled him out. I mean, we always like, hey, Bo, man, we wish you the best, man. Hey, hang in there, bro. You know, he, we didn't know we was watching him for the last time. Hmm. You know, so we didn't want him hurt or maimed in any kind of way. We had so much respect for that dude. You know, he was a torchbearer, you know? Yeah. Well, that, that game, that, that was also, that was your last game as a Bengal, right? Then you go to Yeah, Man- and I knew it. Yeah. I mean, something, I mean, obviously after we lost, I knew it. I mean, I knew I was going into contract situation. Um, see, you know, my situation was different. Here it is. I'm starting. But I got a guy who's a first-round pick playing behind me. And all you need to do is read in the paper, like, what are the Bengals doing? You know, because Ricky Dixon can play. Mm-hmm. Ricky Dixon can play. And, but he was a corner, then they moved him at safety. I was a corner who had moved to safety a year, uh, a year before he got here. And that's when I won the job. But he was a corner, and then they started playing with safety. But then he would, Rick would, you know, and he's suffering from Parkinson's now, but he would knock the guy out, knock himself out too. Jeez. You know, so, you know, an eighth-round pick, and starting in front of a first-round pick doesn't make your scouting department and doesn't make everyone look good. You're like, well, what's going on? Yeah, That's how the league was back then, you know. And even today, if you had a first-round pick that you were paying all that money, he's behind an eighth-round pick or a late-round pick, people would start to question what's going on. Either the player is going to be called the bus or the coaches don't know what they're doing or they it ain't going to be that O'Sullivan is so good he beat out a first-round pick. It was just like, you know. So I knew with my contract being up, just like it would be today, you're probably going to move on. Hmm. But I had a lot of teams interested. I had my agent was telling me there was other teams interested. And so I knew my time was up. And I'll be honest with you, Jay, I looked at our roster from the 88 year. We we were deteriorating. We were hemorrhaging talent. You know, when Max, when we let Max Montoya go, in fact, he was playing for that Raider team on that right. very team. Yeah. I called Max. When Max left, now you got to understand, I'm a young player, but I I admire, still to this day, the two guys I admired when I came to Cincinnati more than anybody else was Anthony Munoz and Max Montoya. Because I grew up in Southern California. I watched those guys play at USC and UCLA, and I just felt, they were like big brothers to me. I looked up to them in every way. So now I find myself on a team with Anthony Munoz and Max Montoya. I'm just like over the moon. <laughs> and then when we let Max go, I'm like, why? So I called Max. I said, what the hell is going on? Why did you leave? You know, <laughs> Max is like, Solomon, they didn't want me. They, what do you mean they didn't want you? You know, <laughs> I'm like this young guy. I'm like a young kid. Like, I'm about to cry. Like, how do we let Max Montoya go? Plan B free agents. Yeah. We just let him go for free. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so I'm, and then I think the year before we had let Chris Collinsworth go for some guys that couldn't even hold his jock. 
And then we let this guy go for some guys that couldn't play. We were letting a lot of guys. Joe Kelly. I mean, we we were like, for every player that I saw leave, the guy replacing them wasn't even close. Hmm. I already told you, winning those games became harder and harder, right? Yeah, right. That's what, so that's what I'm – look, listen – you're in the league four years, man. You know when your team is either appreciating in talent or depreciating. Well, I'm sitting here telling you that when I was left unprotected in 1990, I had two of my teammates come to my apartment, Eric Thomas, Icky Woods. He was like, man, what are you going to do? I said, man, I'd love to stay. I said, but I'm going to tell you guys, I don't think the team's going to be very good. I said, look, and I started going down the road. Look at, look at here. Look at here. Look who's like. I said, you guys. No, these guys aren't as good as the guys we just had. I said, come on. I said, we've got guys leaving who are much better than the guys who are coming. And, I, and unfortunately, we had a lot of rookies. When you, have, when you have young players coming to a team that have been successful, they think they were part of it. They, they don't realize the work that was required to get to a Super Bowl. And they were doing a lot of celebratory, um, you know, stuff and weren't really trying to help the team get back. And Eric Thomas and I had been rookies in 87 and starters on the Super Bowl team the next year. We had to work our tails off to be part of that and to become starters and to impress Dick LeBeau to start two second-year players in that secondary. And we felt that we were part of something, but we wanted to keep winning. And as I saw good players leaving, I was like, nah, nah, you know. And then I had good, I had good teams, you know. I had teams like 49ers calling me, the Vikings, you know, um, you know, some really good teams, you know. Uh, Bruce Cosley had been with the Jets, and they wanted me to come there. So uh, I just knew that, and you know what? I regret it too because the '90s, I called '90s the lost decade, right? Yes. <laughs> So I told Eric Thomas and Icky Woods, we joke every now and then. I said, I knew it it was coming, man. I'm glad I missed those years. (laughs) All right, great to hear from Solomon Wilcots. It's just outstanding, outstanding stuff from him and great look back at that era and uh, what came next, as he he pointed out. Um, You could see a lot of what what came next coming. Um, Now we're going to move on to Max Montoya, who played 11 years for the Bengals. I would argue, you know, every time we talk to Anthony Munoz, he talks about how Max Montoya should be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, he is one of the greats overlooked an anonymous on an anonymous position uh, on a what was uh, has been an anonymous franchise in the big picture of the NFL. And that hasn't helped his case. But he is incredible uh, in, for those teams in the 80s and then did not resign, left in Plan B free agency um, at age 33. And went back to closer to where he grew up in the hometown for both him and his wife um, in Southern California. Played five years for the Raiders, including that year where he came back to beat up his old team twice, including eliminate them from the playoffs. Be a big part of that because their line just just bruised up the Bengals front in that playoff loss. So uh, you great stuff from him. He is fantastic talking about. You know, he didn't sound like a guy who harbored a whole lot of bitterness. Um, over it, but uh, certainly very interesting perspective on being on the other side of things. So here is uh, longtime Bengals and then Raiders offensive guard Max Montoya. The date gets thrown around a lot because it's the last 
January 6, 91 was the last time the Bengals won a playoff game. And uh, so this is that, that. It wasn't against us and the Raiders. It was not. It was not. Uh, that is arguably when the curse of Bo Jackson occurred. Uh, that yeah. <laughs> yeah. they've many, not been. A, many, people, many people tell me it's the curse of Montoya when I left the, the Bengals. They never won a playoff game. Right. No, I was I was going to say that. I was I was saying perhaps it should be renamed uh, because uh, you probably more appropriate. They had an actual more real effect. But it's it's funny because you know it's like that man. It's so it's so long ago, and you go like we go back and we were rewatching some of these games from that season and in that playoffs. And it's like God, you it makes you realize how long it's been since they have won a playoff game because it's. You know, when you're looking at stuff from from 1991, I, I, I'm just more curious. Like, you were, um, you know, I mean, you you were like such a big part of those teams in the 80s. You couldn't have imagined that you would be on the other side of the Bengals at any point, probably. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I didn't think so. I played 11 years with the Bengals, 11 great years with them. We had some really, really good teams and went to the Super Bowl twice. And uh, Probably not, but at, at, after 11 years with the Bengals, I didn't think my career was over. I, I, I knew I still had some gas in the tank. You proved it. <laughs> I did. I played five more years with the Raiders. And, uh, you know, for me, that was a pretty good decision, really. Yeah. I mean, that year, I mean, you went to, you were a, I mean, should have been in, alternate to the Pro Bowl, I guess, in 90 with the Raiders. And then you had that great year in 93. Uh, you just you just fought a bunch of injuries towards the tail end, I guess, right? I had a few injuries, yeah. At the at the end, I think I had a knee and then uh, maybe something else. I, I don't know, but uh, but that 1990, my first year with with the Raiders, uh, I personally I think that was one of my best years ever as an NFL pro. And and of course I was an alternate then, but I thought I should have probably made it then. But uh, but. Speaking of that, we had a heck of an offensive interior line. We had uh, uh, Don Mosbar at the center and Steve Wisniewski as the left guard <laughs> and I was the right guard. And I'll tell you what, we were pretty dang good. Yeah, you guys were just trucking people. I mean, it was watch it, that game, watching that playoff game again, you forget yeah. how much it was just. The Bengals were just so dominated up front. It, it didn't matter whether it was Bo or Marcus or, yeah. you know, whoever the ball went to. There was just massive holes that you guys were trucking open, and that was really all that mattered in that game, you know, it seemed like. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was something that, uh, and it was really uh, looking back on it, it was kind of weird playing for the Bengals for so long, and, and then playing them in. Uh, I think we played them in the regular season a week or two before we played them in the uh, yep in the playoffs. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of weird. It, it was it was kind of funny the first regular season game when we played the Bengals and we played them at the LA Coliseum and uh, it was like hey buddy how you doing Big Joe and Anthony yeah. and this was in the locker rooms and such and and then when it came to the playoffs uh, it was like they were marching soldiers they didn't say a peep to me <laughs> I think they had I think they had orders from the top or, or maybe Sam White says don't you talking buddy up to my toy. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was wild. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was curious. Was that a 
Was it, I mean, guys in the midst of it, guys rarely admit when they face their former team for the first time that it's a big deal. But now looking back on it, was that a big deal? Though you know the fact that the fact that you were able to eliminate them from the playoffs and beat them up pretty bad in the regular season, or was that not you that know, big no, of a deal? No, you know, just the build up and outside of the arena, outside of the the playing field, uh, you know, it's all that. It's like you're thinking, wow, this is different playing against the guys you practiced against and played with and then uh, and then it all comes down to game day and and when you come through the tunnel into the uh, football field then it all changes and then it's strictly football business take care of your guy in front of you and win the game and you just forget about everything that's the greatness about sports when you're actually in the arena taking part and and that's all you focus on and that's a great thing about uh, playing sports. Yeah. I mean, your your career in Cincinnati, I mean, two Super Bowls, one of the if, – if you guys had ended up winning one of those Super Bowls, people would probably more uh, affect – more really uh, realize that you guys were one of the best offensive lines the league's seen for a long we period of time. We were pretty damn good. We were pretty damn good collectively. We were, we were, our offense, I think, was number one back then Yeah. in the late 80s. And, and, you know, we had some firepower and, and, uh, the Super Bowl, uh, everything was going great up until, well, Joe Walter got hurt, I think a week or two before, uh, blew his knee out. Uh, and, and then also, uh, Stanley Wilson, uh, if right. you remember, uh, the night before the Super Bowl game, he, he kind of went out and lost his way and, uh, we missed him big time. And then Crumry breaking his leg yep. in the game. You know, we just we had a lot of things against us, but we battled. We we played tough. No, I mean, to to have, I mean, it's got to, to have a career where you go to two Super Bowls and you know you and you you and Anthony playing. I mean, it's funny because we I, I've done a lot of stuff. I mean, I've been covering the team for a decade now, and I've done a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, talking about banging the drum of Hall of Fame on all these guys that are overlooked, and it's kind of disgusting, really. And It is. <laughs> it is as a player. It, it, to me, it's disgusting. Uh, we just lost a great one, yep. uh, Ken the Rattler Riley. Yep. You know, you look at his stats. Played 15 years for the Bengals. Uh, nobody realizes what a great player he was. What, 64, 65 interceptions? 65. Fourth or fifth all-time? Uh, but he just never got he never got the publicity or whatever it is. Uh, you you would think that somebody would look at him and say, "My gosh, Kenny Anderson is another yep. one." You know, MVP, uh, uh, four time four time passing champ. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, been in this MVP went to the Super Bowl, and it it go. You know, and I I've talked to people on the committees. And I've talked to the people, you know, it's just trying to figure out why this yeah. is. Because there's no way, even you can say whatever you want about the Bengals franchise as far as time, how much they've won or not won. They've won certainly enough, and they've been around for 50-plus years. And to have one Hall of Famer is That's an impossibility. Guess. It's an impossibility. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> one one player, albeit he was a great one. Yeah, he had to be the greatest left tackle of all time to get in. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have been shut out. We would have had nobody. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, go figure. Fifty years or fifty plus years in the NFL. Yeah. We've got one representative. That's a travesty. It is. And and I and Anthony all and I point this. I was st- still where I was starting with this was Anthony. Every time I've talked to him, 
always mentions you. Every single time. And, and, and uh, you know, I mean, I know. It's because all them M&Ms I gave him the yeah. night before the game. I think I paid him off with M&M peanuts. <laughs> I mean, but he does. And it's like, and that's part of the thing. Whereas, you know, we, we talk a lot and rightfully so about Ken Riley and oh. about Kenny. Those guys. They 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 earn that conversation and they, they have stats. Offensive line is a lot harder for people to put a number on and realize. And that's where like someone like you gets more lost in the shuffle because you can't point to a number that even makes it more obvious. But because right. people didn't right. pay attention, and you really don't get overlooked. You're already in an anonymous position, and then you're in a city like Cincinnati, <laughs> makes it exponentially harder. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. But. but. Speaking of stats, Jim McNally, our offensive line coach way back, he would keep stats on the guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, you'd be plus and minuses during games, and you'd get this big big printout of of how good we did and such. But, yeah, he kept kept pressures, he kept sacks, he kept penalties, he kept everything else. And and, uh, so internally we had kind of stats. Yeah, internally for our own play, but but yeah, we were just you know we we had some great guys and the Bengals and we're still tight to this day. You know, there's something about playing in the NFL. Not only that, but making it to the playoffs and then of course the Super Bowl. You you just become really tight. Yeah, one thing. One other thing that Anthony would always tell me was that and I've heard this from many people actually, was that they thought a big part of the ushering in of really the transition, that, that 90 Bengals team was the, was the, it was the last hurrah of that group. And it all, all fell apart after that. You know, Sam, Sam leaves the next year. A lot of guys left after that 90, they go three and 13 and 91 that they thought when you left was really the signal of the beginning of the end. Did you view it that way? Is that the curse, the curse of Montoya? (laughs) No, Uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, actually, I I would have loved to stayed in Cincinnati and, and retired and, and you know be a Bengal for all my career, but but the opportunity just presented the, everything like it's like they say the stars lined up or whatever, and, and uh, you know just the fact that going back to L.A. playing uh, in front of all my family and friends and stuff and uh, that was great because. You know, being in Cincinnati, they really didn't get to see me play live and all that stuff. So uh, it was kind of cool just going back. And it's funny how things go full circle. You know, I began my big career, I guess, at UCLA playing in the Coliseum. Hmm. And and then I ended it basically uh, playing in the Coliseum. So... uh, so it worked out good for me. Yeah. Plus, I got a little raised when I left. <laughs> exactly. That didn't, that didn't you know, hurt at all. Exactly. It was hard for you guys to get big money back in those days, man. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and that's the big thing with the guys now. They don't realize. Uh, just as we we went through, I went through two strikes. Speaking of two Super Bowls, I went through two strikes in the eighties, and mm. uh, what we were what we were fighting for was free agency. Uh, the fact that you can actually play out your contract and, and move on and, and go and see if life is better, you know, on the other side of the hill. Yeah, and they <laughs> trust me, every player today thanks you for it, as uh, you know. As the, they should. As they, as they should, because <laughs> we were, I mean, you were stymied back then. You played out your contract. You thought you were you were free to go, but but the Bengal that, or the team that you played for had right of first refusal. Yeah. And back then you didn't see anybody move because the compensation was too high. You know, I think it was two first round picks you had to give up for somebody that was 
so-called free agent. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it's we'll sit here and talk about through this about how you finished your career at a different place. And now to see anybody that played 11 years – yeah. Uh, in one place is the right. real is the real oddity, you know, which which you did, yeah. you know, f- till you were, you know, you're in ninety there. Um, I, I, yeah. I wanted to ask you about Bo real quick and watching yeah. him as a athlete and before he got hurt, uh, you know. I mean, right. is is I mean, having seen him in person, did that live up to the hype of what everyone talks about with what he was as a just a freak? Uh, freak of nature. Yeah. The guy was unbelievable. And I got the opportunity to play with two great running backs with the Raiders, uh, Marcus Allen and Bo Jackson. Can you imagine that in the same backfield? I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, do- I double-take that watching that game again. I was like, oh, my God, that's right. They had Marcus and Bo. That's so cr- – it's unfair. <laughs> yeah, and Bo, like you said, is just, just a freak of nature that had the power, the grace, you know, the, the speed. Uh, the football sense, and uh, boy, he was something. Uh, you know, and then also playing baseball. Holy smokes! Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had he had it all. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I uh, you know go back to this, and, and and unfortunately, it didn't go so well the next week. Obviously, for you guys, but uh, you know, Buffalo yeah. was was pretty stellar in the middle of their the beginning of their run there, um, right. but. You still, I mean, it was a, a heck of a see. There was just so much. I mean, in that game, you guys just had them so out-talented, really. I mean, especially that game, they're hurt. Anthony's on the sideline. Bruce yeah. Reimers is on the sideline. You know, they yeah. James yeah. Brooks couldn't really play. Um, you know, and that, yeah. that, that was really a killer. It was a tough time. And, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, lucky for us, we, we beat the Bengals and went on. But, we yeah, we went against the Buffalo Bills up in Buffalo and – they just shellacked us, uh, but that would have been pretty sweet to go to the Super Bowl again with the, you know, once with the Raiders. That would have been pretty good. Much thanks to uh, Max for joining us. Uh, great to talk to him, and certainly one of those guys who, when we talk about Hall of Fames and Rings of Honor and those types of things, uh, should be in the mix for that. Um, he was an incredible player during his time. All right, next. Well, you know, when you're talking about Bengals history. There's only one place you got to start, right? <laughs> I mean, as far as players go, it's Anthony Munoz. The best that ever played the position. No doubt. Uh, Jay, what, what, what'd you, what'd you t- what was your big takeaway from your conversation with Anthony? Uh, how hurt he was uh, through this, the end of the regular season and the playoffs, and of course he couldn't play in that Raiders game, and and him talking about that. He, he said his treatment in those days were ice. There was ice. He said there was no way I was going to shoot anything into me. So playing that position as long as he did, that was he was drafted in 1980. He that Raiders game in the 1990 season, 1991 calendar year was the first game of his career that he missed. Um, he started every game leading up to that point except one. Uh, in 1983, he missed a Wednesday practice. They had a rule that if you missed a, a Wednesday practice, you didn't play. And so it was a home game against the Colts, and they started uh, someone else. This could be a trivia question. You could win at a bar. Uh, a guy by the name of Michael Bravick started, played one play, 
and then Anthony Munoz came in. Um, so that <laughs> that was the extent of, of his absence from the team until that key Raiders playoff game when he just hit the, the shoulder. He had a torn rotator cuff, and it just would not respond in pregame warm-ups, and, and he couldn't go. As always, great to hear from him. Bengals, Hall, Bengals and uh, NFL Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz. When you think about that 90 season, what stands out? Well, if I remember correctly for myself personally, it was a tough ending. Um, yeah. I believe that was the year. Did we lose the Raider game out there? Yes. Yeah. In fact, uh, week 14, I think week 14, we played the Raiders out there also, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I actually uh, tore my rotator cuff that game. Ooh. So that was week 14. I ended up playing the last two regular season games and the first playoff game with the torn rotator cuff so it was uh it was tough but you know for me personally when you're in the playoff like you're going to do whatever you can to to play so it was uh frustrating for me not being able to play in that uh that final game so that was uh you know the the raider game um after winning that first playoff game which was pretty exciting um you know not being able to play because the shoulder didn't come around like uh like it had the previous three weeks, so uh, taking some rest off between games. Yeah, it was amazing. I was watching the game um, on it's on YouTube, and it looked like it was early in the second half that, that you went out, and the announcers never acknowledged it, never mentioned it. I, they just totally overlooked it that you were out. Um, it looked like I think it was on Boomer's touchdown run. You tried to do a cut block and had trouble getting up from that. Is do you remember that as the moment when it? You knew you weren't going to be able to continue. In week fourteen, are you talking about week fourteen? No, no, in the in the uh, playoff game against the Oilers. No, actually, I mean, I tore it week fourteen, so it was already torn. Um, yeah, so I tore it. I mean, I took an MRI when we got back from LA. Um, so yeah, it was. I played the last regular season games, and in the Oilers game, it was. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was actually torn. So I was playing through it. Uh, that game, it might have, you know, I don't remember that exactly, but uh, I know that uh, it was, uh, there were times where, you know, I would pull away from the defender and it felt like he kept my arm in his hand. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, you know, you do those things, uh, like I said, you're in a playoff run, and uh, and then we flew out to L.A., and I expected to play, but it just didn't come around like it did, and I felt, you know, I wasn't going to help, you know, the previous three weeks, I felt I, I did pretty well, and it held up. I just thought that it wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't going to help the team out by being out there in my condition. Yeah, that's what um, you you played in that in the playoff game, and then um, you, it must have started hurting at some point because then you came out, you didn't finish the game, and that's yeah. that's what I was referring to is the how the yeah. announcers never mentioned it. Yeah, it uh, probably got to a point because I I wasn't one to uh, you know. My my treatment was ice, and uh, that was about it. I wasn't about to shoot anything in it, so uh, I, I didn't. And uh, I guess it uh, it just got to a point where it just you know I couldn't handle it. Yeah, they said on the Raiders broadcast that was the you know other than the first game of your career during the holdout that that was the first game you missed, and it was it was kind of strange seeing you standing on the sideline in uniform. Was there was there still a thought? before the game that you might play or was that kind of oh yeah you know it was uh son you know because i remember doc kite jr uh you know coming he flew in late and i I met with him and we just you know uh, because i i prepared and i was ready i'm 
people out there. And it just, uh, you know, I, I figured a, an extra day because I didn't do anything Friday and then Saturday when we're out there. But it, it just, uh, it didn't come around. So, yeah. Now, I, I just, you mentioned something about missing a game my rookie year because of holding out. Mm-hmm. No, I, I made all, the only game I missed starting was, uh, was like, I forget what year it was, fourth or fifth year. The, oh. the rule was you couldn't start if you missed Wednesday practice. And I, Wednesday, third, I practiced Friday, and they had someone else start for one play, and then I went in. So, oh. But you know, I, I made all of camp in all, every game my rookie year. Okay, yeah, they, they had that wrong on the broadcast then because that's, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't covering the team then. I wasn't aware of that, and they, that's what they said on the, the broadcast of that Raiders game. So, No, it's, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know where they got that from. I actually signed the day before. I, it was a long, drawn-out uh, negotiation, but I did sign – like the day before camp, and I flew in, oh. went through camp, and then, yeah, we played Tampa Bay opening game my rookie year, and I was there. Okay. I, how, would, how would I forget playing against Leroy Selman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that was like, welcome to the NFL. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you, uh, I mean, like Sunday morning before the, the Raiders, did you know then you weren't playing? or I, I just thought it was odd that you were in uniform. Yeah, I mean, I, I was – you know, because a lot of times it might not be feeling good. Then you <clears throat> you want to test it, at, you know, pregame. Because we would, you know, we would go through a couple pretty good hits, you know, in our pregame warm up with each other, and then the D lineman. And uh, it, it just, I mean, it, it was to a point where it felt like it did Monday and Tuesday after the games I was playing, and that was pretty bad. I mean, the games I did play after it, Monday and Tuesday, it was almost like, man, I can't do this again. Then by Wednesday, Thursday, I'd take Wednesday off, Thursday, and then Friday, it felt good. And Saturday, Sunday, I'd play, and it felt pretty good. But that week, you know, I tried it. I, you know, I said, I'm just going to give it a shot. Because, I, like I said, I I was ready. I mean, I went through all the game plan, and I was ready to start. It just, pregame warm-up, it just wasn't there. I mean, it was uh, one of those things where, you know, you, you try. And, you know, there's a lot of times where pregame warm-up, you're like you're banged up most of the time. And, you know, you can get over it, the adrenaline, uh, and, you know, the previous three weeks, I guess I, I kind of exhausted all my adrenaline, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. in those three weeks because there was just there was just no way that it, it uh, responded even Sunday after pregame warm-ups. What do, you, what do you remember about how Kirk Strafford played? I know he gave up a sack on the very first play, but it, it looked to me like he played pretty solid after that. You know, Strafford, as we call him, always did an excellent job. I mean, he... He would hang in there. I mean, and yeah, I was happy. I, I I wasn't concerned about him even after that early sack because I knew he he would uh, he would settle down. Uh, you know, just really frustrating. Uh, you know that um, you know a lot of times when you go, you have a tendency to replay some history. And uh, you know, for those of the, those that know the history of me at USC, uh, there was a lot of time on the sideline watching games. You know, my four years, and uh, even though I was in uniform. That day, I was still watching from the sideline, so it uh, brought back some, uh, you know, really frustrating and not very good memories of the time I was there in college. Uh, because especially a playoff game and against the Raiders, I mean, you know, it's my hometown team, uh, you know, in a, a stadium that I played my, you know, or was, you know, played my whole college career, and uh, it's just frustrating. But no, with Scrap, I, I knew he would do well. I mean, Scrap was the kind of kid that uh, when you called on him, uh, you know, he was going to be pretty consistent. That that whole season was a little weird. You guys had five 
trips out to the or five games on the West Coast. Um, a five-game road trip, also because of the Reds being in the World Series, um, was that? Had you ever done anything like that? I think it was after the Seattle game. You guys stayed out west before you played the Rams. Uh, do you remember that being unique, or, or how that week of practice went? Definitely. I mean, I'd never experienced that. You know, especially I played college baseball, and we were in cities for a week or two. You know, playing uh, you know, during Easter when I played at USC, we were out in Houston, Texas for a week. But never football. I mean, it was, you know, you go the day before, right after the game, you fly home. But now we spent the whole week in Seattle, then flew down to L.A. to play in Anaheim. So, yeah, that was uh, I it really, really the only time we're flying back and forth to the West Coast, which it was good. You know, my family loved it because they got to come to a lot of my games in person. But, uh, you know, it is strange when you're, you're going back and forth to the West Coast uh, that often. What, do you remember what the vibe was like in town with the Reds being in the playoffs and on the way to winning a World Series? And I know Sports Illustrated named Cincinnati the, the city of the year that year. Uh, do you remember that? I know you're focused on the Bengals and football, but do you remember the like the Reds' excitement leaking into what you guys were doing at all? Oh, very much so because being the big baseball fan I am, I was at, uh, I don't know if I was at one or two of the World Series games there in Cincinnati, so... I mean, even as a, a football player, you get caught up in the excitement because one of your home teams is doing so well, and, it, and it's an motivator. It's a motivator and incentive for you to kind of, you know, carry your load and uh, you know, and do what you can with your professional team. So, yeah, I mean, I I remember it well because, like I said, because uh, you know, the same thing when I first got there, going to every home game when Pete bro- uh, broke the hit record. You know, my wife and I were there for the series and we got to experience that. And the same thing with the the 90 World Series. I, I think I took my daughter one game and might have gone to another game. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, you. I mean, it's hard not to get caught up if you're, you know, if you're a sports fan and, and if you're a professional athlete because you do. You support each other and you want the best for each other. I mean, you, you went in 81 and 82 and then you have that gap. Uh, and then 88, you go to the playoffs. Um, and then a year off, and you go back in 90. With all the talent you guys had and with Sam coaching the way he was, I mean, could you ever have envisioned that that would be the, the last playoff win for 30 years? No, I mean, it was crazy. In fact, I was, I've never envisioned us uh, waiting that or having that big a gap between uh, 16 and 23 with the talent we had. Hmm. I mean, I really felt, you know, Maybe it was just the the mindset I had being at USC that we expected every year to be in the Rose Bowl and, and went, you know, playing for a national championship. When we went to that 16, I thought, man, this is going to be a run for us because I looked around and we were we were very talented. I mean, it was uh, there was some pretty good football players, and then we kind of transitioned into the Boomer years. Uh, you know, from Isaac Curtis to Eddie Brown, and you know, Chris was still there, and from Dan Ross to Rodney Holman, and. You know, we had uh, a few changes among the offensive line, but but I, you know, defensively we had some of the, you know, the veteran guys. Reggie Williams is still there, and but no, I, especially not after you know '90 when we went and uh, won that playoff. I thought for sure that things would continue. Uh, I know Sam left and Shula was there, and I, I know that was a a very difficult time because my last year was under the Shula regime, and mm-hmm. uh, again I thought there was some pretty good talent, but it just I mean, there's a difference between having a group of talented guys and a group that's a team. And I just didn't feel that uh, that cohesiveness. That, uh, especially the last year, my last year. I mean, if you if you check it out, we were two and zero going up to Green Bay. I mean, you know, we had just beat the Raiders in '92 at home, 
to go two and zero, and we go up to Green Bay, and uh, you know we we helped uh, Brett Favre with his coming out party by knocking out uh, Makowski, you know. So uh, you know we had them beat by thirteen with about six minutes left, and we lose that game, and then you know the season kind of turns upside down, and, and that's really when it started. Yeah, was you know that year when we could have very easily, I mean, kept things rolling. Uh, you know, I thought we were very talented even that year. Uh, there was a transition being made at quarterback with uh, Klingler and Boomer, uh, but uh, still, we were we were a very talented team, and you know, I thought we beat a pretty good Raiders team at home week two, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if we won five games that year, that many, after a pretty good start, but yeah, very surprised that it went 18, 19 years uh, with the drought that we had there. The uh, I was talking to to Solomon Wilcots, and he. He was talking about the uh, the sixty-one to seven game against the Oilers and how Sam at halftime was screaming and yelling at you guys that the lead wasn't enough and he wanted to blow out Jerry Glanville because he hated him and um, you know Jerry was gone that next year for the playoff. Did it did it still feel like Bengals Oilers was a big rivalry at that point or does that not even matter because it's a playoff game? Well, it felt more like it did in the eighties. You know, the player being rivals. You know, mm-hmm. the players on the field, not the coaches. Uh, you know, uh, they were always a big rival. I mean, the AFC Central with the Browns, the Steelers, and the Oilers, I mean, that thing, teams would go 9-7, and 10-6 and six and win the division, and people would say, well, that's a, you know, it's not a very good division. We'd say, well, you play a couple games against each one of those teams and see, you know, that was the day of the Browns with the great defense and the Oilers with the great defense. Of course, the Steelers are the Steelers. But, um, yeah, I'll never forget that game. I was actually, we were all on the field, you know, we're up 58-whatever, uh, and you know, Sam calls a timeout, and we're all looking at each other in the huddle going, what is he calling a timeout for? You know, usually you just let the clock run out, and you, you know, shake your buddy's hands on the Oilers, and then you run in, and he calls timeout, and here comes Jim Breach running onto the field. We kicked out to move it up to 61. I'll never forget, you know, we get to the Pro Bowl, and, of course, I played with Bruce Matthews. He was a, he was a freshman when I was a senior at USC, so I knew him well, knew Munchak. So... I, we get to the Pro Bowl and they're all sitting at a table by the pool and I'm, you know, I'm like, hey, hey guys, how you doing? I walk up and they both look at me and Bruce, who I know, he looks at me and goes, you idiot. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, kicking a field. I said, hey, I didn't make the call. I said, you could call me an idiot if it was my decision, but it was the head coach. And they go, I know, but you're still an idiot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was, yeah, but it was to me. It was always a rivalry with the Oilers, and like you know, I, I say it tongue in cheek. You know, it just seemed like uh, back to the the players on the field. The rivalry it wasn't as much the coaches' rivalry, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, yeah, that was that was always a uh, you know, if you could keep it in perspective and not let it uh, affect you on the field, which I thought we did a pretty good job. It was a, always a nice sideshow between uh, him and uh, Jerry Glanville. I don't know what the competitor mindset is, but you know the following. You guys lose to the Raiders, and then the following week, the the Bills just destroy them, fifty-one to three. I think it was or fifty-one to ten. Do you do you guys think, woo? You know, we we dodged a buzzsaw there, or do you think like you would normally Not really, think? That, because if you remember, we beat them in the AFC Championship game the previous year. No, oh, yeah, I in eighty-eight. We beat them to go to twenty-three, if I'm not mistaken. I yeah. mean, that was you know eighty-eight season, eighty-nine. So. You know, we beat them, I think, two times that year. Uh, they had basically the same people. I'm sure they got better, but, um, you know, I don't, I think with the guys we have still, you know, the majority of the guys there from the Super Bowl, I think, you know, we were pretty confident that uh, we could hang with them. So I don't think that it was a, 
you know, a matter of, you know, you always think about it when you lose to someone and then they get shellacked. I mean, that's always something that's in your mind. Like, you know, how can we have lost to those, you know, that those guys, you know, beat us and then they get, you know, shellacked by the Bills. But no, I don't think it was a, a thought of, man, I'm glad we didn't, you know, get past the Raiders and go meet the Bills. All right, always great to hear from Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz. Uh, let's move on and kind of wrap this thing up with a guy who is really at the centerpiece of this team, this era, and uh, one of the great players uh, in Bengals history. And, and um, you know, he, he ends up with a broken, turns out, uh, left thumb uh, and isn't able to really – he misses the end of the Oilers game and is, is able to go a little bit – you know, incredible story of that week of what was going on and it's hilarious stories of what was actually going on that week actually. Um, and so we want to have James Brooks come in here um, and talk a little bit about his time in that era and, of course, what happened in at the end of that season. So here is uh, James Brooks, and then we'll be right back to wrap this thing up. So uh, I know 30 years is a long time ago. How, how much <laughs> how much do you remember about that game against the Oilers well, when you, you busted up your thumb? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think which one that was a tough up. I think that was at, at uh, the Oakland Raiders. Well, you, uh, you you beat the Oilers at home. That's when you dislocated your thumb. and then Oh, you, you, well, what not if I got broke it? Oh, you broke it. Okay. Yeah, yeah oh, it was broken half. Oh. I, oh, yeah. I, matter of fact. I can remember. I think, oh, I guess a week or two ago, we 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 played in regular season, and I ran for two hundred some yards. Guess them. Then you know we came back and play, you know, play in the playoff, and it was matter of fact, it was cold, mm-hmm. very cold. And and what happened was my finger got uh the, the I, when I went down. I sprayed my finger, uh, and it, and all that weight came down on it, and that's that's why it snapped in half. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, I was walking off the field looking at it, and you, you know, you, at that time they had the, the big board, you know, the camera thing, and I went on the sideline, and I said, "Hey, can you tape this up right quick?" And <laughs> the trainer looked at me like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> I like. No big deal. But let's go. Come on. And can the doctor come over and say, uh, you can't go back in because it, it's, it's broken half. Yeah, because on the TV broadcast, they showed like you went off the field and then you came back and then you were ready to go back in. And then they showed, I don't know if it was Sparling or one of the other trainers, like holding up an x-ray. And that's when they said, uh, no, you, you can't go well, in. Well, because that, that, I kept trying to tell them, just go ahead and take it. Just give me some tape put on it. But you look, you can look inside of it. I mean, it it, it had snapped out like that because it, it that day really was cold. I mean, it was, you know, even though playing against you know Houston, we just it was. I mean, it was already a test game already, but just the idea. I mean, that that that's that's really scary to think about. That is a long time ago. Yeah. And then you played the next week. I mean, how did you? How, how much pain were you in in that Raiders game? It was different. You know what I'm saying, buddy? I played because I know they needed me. Mm-hmm. And 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 it comes a couple of guys actually kept saying, "Can can you play?" But you know, it's just the idea. I just our offense. I felt like I had to be there just because we had it set up. 
and early early running backs is is different. But when I I'm in there, we can do so many other things. Mm-hmm. And 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 they kept saying, "Are you sure you can play?" I said, "Yes, no big deal." And you know, I play and caught even caught ball. And you know, just. Just you know, at that time, I know how the offense work. It it get better when things I'm in there doing because just me, things I can do, it, it made it much much different from everybody else. Yeah, the, the Raiders kind of had that reputation of going a little bit over the line, where they grabbing and tugging at it under the pile. Oh, well, they did all that stuff because I'm used to playing playing against them because I play with San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I'm used to playing some I played with some of those guys, and you know, but. You know, back out. It's so much. It's so much different when I when you know when I think about the things what football is now and what then what they have and what we things we didn't have all that. And but same time, man, it's a football field. You go out on the football field, you play anything off the, off the field. It's not important. Yeah. You know, what I mean, that's that's why I laugh at night when I hear these guys. Uh, complaining about this and that, I just smile. I said, do they, do they really understand what the things we went through and how they would survive? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes you have to worry about when you go to go to practice, you might get robbed down there. Oh, it's Benny? It, it, well, they're up underneath because where you park it, you park up underneath. Mm-hmm. You, and you can have somebody, you can get robbed so easy. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, people don't really get that because I mean, it, I mean, it was just unreal. And of course, it's time for me when you buy everybody pitching money to buy your own lunch, all that. I mean, you wonder why some of the guys can get in shape because you know the food they eat is bad for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just you know, like it's like a trailer. That's basically what it was. A, a, a big double wide trailer, and you know you go from there, and you know you, know, you can feel sorry for yourself, but and not you know not, not come up to this date now what they're doing now. It's so, you know great stating, and you know they got to figure out a way to figure out how enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And when it, when it make you sick at the stomach, I can remember was in training camp. And I and I just sit there and watch stuff and like, we have to be better than this. I mean, you know, just you have to look at yourself and say, what can I do to make myself better? And you know, it's not the coach telling you; it's you. That's your job. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's when I think you know when you really care about sports. And that, and that's your job, and that's what you take it as. You, you know, you go and have the best condition place when you go to camp. You don't need to get get in shape. You're already in shape. Well, I mean, you you didn't just play that Raiders game with a a broken thumb. You you had the flu too, right? I was talking to Solomon Wilcox. He said you threw up on the field right before a snap, and then Boomer handed you the ball and you ran with it. Well, no, but that's. But that's the things when you are a, a part of the team, and you, and if I'm not on my deathbed, I think I can play, mm-hmm. and that's what you always did, you know, because this team is a, a family thing. 
and you know you don't want to let down your family. You mentioned the the 201 yards against the Oilers in the regular season. That was your career high. Uh, it was a, a franchise record. A, a lot of your big games came against the Oilers. Um, what what was it about them that 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 you excelled so well against that defense? Well, you know they they, they was quick, but the off the line was you know. One of these guys, they hit you because they're thinking about trying to fight. They're trying to get in your head. Mm. And my and I lama, I said, all they know, once they push them, I said, I, I said, I cut off what you do. And once they get get up on them, basically, is it then for for me? I'm I'm in, I'm in the secondary, and from there, I'm, it's, it's going to be a one on one. I'm just going to outrun them, the dangles of it. In that game when you broke the thumb and, and then they, they told you you were definitely not going back in, did, did you go to the hospital to get it set or did you watch the rest of the game from the sideline? No, 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 no. Matter of fact, they, they, they took me because I went and had surgery. Oh. Yeah, I went and had surgery. I mean, uh, when they took me off the field, they basically just put me in that and, and took me to the, hall, uh, to the uh, hospital and I had surgery on it. And I mean, after the game, all the guys come up to up there to the hospital to see me. <laughs> and then, of course, players would be players. They brought beer when they ever gave me some. Yeah, gave me medicine, and we sitting there drinking a beer in in, in there. Uh, of course, everything came up, <laughs> and they kicked them out out of the room. <laughs> So and just, they, 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 they're looking at us like, "Oh, y'all crazy!" I was like, "Ah, they just they just want to check on to make sure I was fine." I mean, that's to me. I think that I thought that was one that I laughed so hard about it because they're like, "You can't take no, uh, you can't drink no beer after you took medicine and all that." I'm like, "Well, nothing I can do now." How many of the guys came to see you? It was like uh, seven, eight of them. Huh. And of course, you know all the room, you know, all people are all excited. Oh my gosh, that's under the bingo's in here. But it was fun though. We had a laugh at it because you know, come back to practice and we start laughing about it. They, they mentioned on that broadcast that you were a little irked that you uh, didn't make the Pro Bowl that year, and then you, know, you ended up yes. going because uh, when, when Bo yep. Jackson got hurt. I, I tell you what, it's, it's, sometimes I didn't. I wouldn't say nothing about that because I. The funny thing about it, I had 11, 1200 yards right. And they put Bo Jackson on there. And Bo didn't have like 700 some yards, if that's correct. I'm not, I could be a little off. But he didn't have, a, he, he went over 1,000 some yards. He wasn't over there. Because mm-hmm. at the time, it was me and uh, Thomas from uh, Buffalo. And oh, I can't remember another back. But. Uh, the coach at that time was the uh, Oakland Razor coach, and I, and and I, I really was really mad, and if, and, and, and uh, I kept it to myself, didn't say nothing, and I'm standing there when we played the Oakland Razor and that in that, pl- that playoff when Kevin Walker hit hit both, mm-hmm. and when when I seen him die down. Right now, right said, "I guess you'd be going to the Pro Bowl." I said, "I should have been there already," but but I know Bo, and I felt bad from that point. But I know he could when he couldn't. I know he couldn't get up. Yeah, but 
Yeah, but I guess I was really mad because I felt I did, I did like everybody else did. Go a thousand yards, you should be in the Pro Bowl. Yeah, it was uh, Marion Butts and Bobby Humphrey were the other two backs that year. Right, and I'm looking at him like I'm looking at him like it's Benny. You know, I've had been there for the last three years, and I'm like, and I'm not in again because it's not like I didn't have the same uh, yards like everybody else did. Mm-hmm. But that's a little thing I'm a little upset about. But I just, you know, they say if you be patient, good things happen for you. And I have, I don't have one good story about coaches. Dave Shuley, I think you heard, you heard Dave Shuley. Oh yeah, sure. Dave Shuler was the worst coach ever. And he, he was a receiver coach, right? Yeah. Okay, he was in the mood, and we have a big meeting, office, office having a meeting. And every coach get up there and explain what's going on about how you attack, and how do you do this, if this happened. You know, you always got to always understand What's, what you're trying to attack, but at the same time, be aware of what could happen. And this guy loved there trying to explain about the wide receivers doing this stuff, doing that stuff. And I have never in my life, I'm like, who gave this guy a job? And I, it, it, those kind of little stuff I see, and then go back, and when I hear all this stuff, I just like, it, it's not. It's not changing. It never will change because it's. Just, it's not what you know. It's who you know. So, what was and, the reaction when when they hired Dave as the head coach? Was were the <laughs> players a little? Everybody laughed about it. And I, at that time, I had a, a matter of fact. I had a meeting with him, and he's trying to tell me is. Well, we're going to let Harold start, and you're going to be the backup, but you're going to run kickoff back. I said, uh, I'm not running no kickoff backs. I said, I haven't done it in a long time. I just, I just don't have that ability to, to run run up through that hole and then I get my knee or whatever uh, cracked. I said, I'm not a... I don't run kickoff back no more. I said, when I was younger, you could probably tell me right through the wall I would have done it. I said, that's not going to work with me doing that. I said, if that's the case, then I'll tell you what, I'd probably be moving on no matter what in I said, because sitting here having a conversation with you, this is like me talking to a, a junior high uh, coach. I didn't have no, I didn't have no respect for it, and I guarantee eighty-five percent of guys didn't have no respect for it. All right, much thanks to everybody uh, that joined us for this podcast. Um, if you, again, if you haven't heard it, uh, the original uh, look back, myself, Jay, Mo Egger, going through, but taking a deep dive back at the last time the Bengals won a playoff game. Uh, and what turned out to be the last hurrah of a great era and the beginning of one of the worst eras in NFL history. Yeah, there's no way around that. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I had a lot of fun doing this, Jay. I hope uh, you did too. I did. Um, it's fun to catch up with all these guys. You did a fantastic job with that. That's for sure.
yeah, it was, it was great talking to those guys. Um, talked to a few other guys for the story, too, just shorter little blurbs that we didn't include. So uh, if you get a chance, we'll, we'll have all those other pieces up on a, in a companion story on the site that will uh, the story will kind of go along with and, and give more detail about what happened during that era. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. We're gonna, Remember, we're going to keep doing this model um, across other major Cincinnati sports, so look out for that coming in the future. If you haven't had a chance to hear our Reds version, uh, we did a deep dive back at the 1995 team, the last Reds team to advance in the postseason when they advanced to beat the Dodgers, then lost to the Braves. It was myself, C. Trent Rosecrans and Mo Egger. Uh, so if you have a chance, go back to listen to the WARP in Cincinnati archives. That's back there from about two, three weeks ago. So hope you have enjoyed these so far. If you have, let us know. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Send us uh, emails. Uh, drop in comments at The Athletic. Uh, if you've liked it, we'd love to hear back from you. If there's something you think we should add into the series, let us know or take out. Let us know. Uh, we'd love to try to really kind of curate these to be exactly the kind of lookbacks that you would want. I hope you're enjoying it, and uh, we will talk to you next time on Hear That Podcast Growling. Mm-hmm.